Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And everyone said, Amen. Amen and amen. So today we are closing up a four-week sermon series that we've called Biblical Answers to Big World Questions. And I'll be honest with you, like, this was originally meant to be a much longer series, but we decided to make it a shorter, tighter sermon series. And as I've told people that this week is the last week of the sermon series, I had a tremendous amount of people, I'll just go ahead and say it, begging, begging for the sermon series to continue because there's so much more to talk about in our world, isn't there? There is. And here's what I'm going to say. Uh, we're still going to take a break from this series. Uh, I'm excited about what we're going to start next week. We'll get to that later. But here's what I'll say. Uh, if you really want, we will come back to a series like this 2.0 in the very near future. Because we do want to be a church that's engaging in the conversation that's happening, that affects our world and the way the world is shaping. But here's what I want you to know about this sermon series. This sermon series, while yes, yes, we have been kind of like putting a flag in the ground and, and declaring certain truths about hot topics. We've been making our position known. More than just that, here's what I want you to know about this sermon series that I think is as important, if not more important. The reason we've done this sermon series is to try to help our church to understand how to develop a biblical worldview so that when we encounter these, these issues of our day, we can stand on an eternal truth that helps to inform us as we engage the conversation. So this has been a, as much of a biblical worldview development sermon series as it has been just talking about hot topics. But today, as we do close up the sermon series for now, the biblical answer we're going to be looking at is to this big world question. Pro-life or just pro-birth? Which one are Christians really? We, we say we're pro-life, but for many people in the world, they are laying the accusation that you're not pro-life, you're just pro-birth. And today we're going to confront that question as we look at the very red-hot topic of abortion today. We're going to look at the biblical answer to this big world question, are Christians pro-life or really just pro-birth? And as we look at standing on God's eternal truth to inform our thoughts on the matter, I'm going to invite you, if you would please, turn to Psalm 139. We're going to look at verses one. To 16 today. We're going to saturate ourselves in God's Word. If you're using the Bibles that we've provided, um, I'm happy that you do that. That's on page 662 in those Bibles. Otherwise, in whatever Bible you brought, please turn to Psalm 139. As you are turning there, here's what I want you to know. None other than, none other than King David himself wrote this psalm. Now, what's a psalm? Now, psalm is just the Greek word that means song. So this is a song that King David wrote, and I think it's a beautiful and it's phenomenal because it talks about God's great love for us, how he knows us, and how he forms us. So as we look at Psalm 139, would you please hear the word of the Lord? Verses 1 to 16. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. For when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet... There was none of them. This is God's word. Let's pray and we'll continue. Let's pray. Father God in heaven above, the depths of your knowledge are deeper than we can fathom and higher than we can imagine. Lord, let us have a holy fear in light of that, knowing that your love is as great as your knowledge. Holy Spirit, would you please lead and guide our time that we may only hear the truth of your word, that we may be shaped and molded by it, just as we were by the hands of God in our mother's womb. And it's in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. So church, let me uh, just declare and clear something up right here, right now. What we are talking about today for us is not a political plot or ploy. For Peace Church and for me, this is not a left or right issue. This is not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is not a conservative or progressive issue. For Peace Church, this is one of the, if not the, key pressing moral issue of our day. This is an issue that's not just about personal rights. This is an issue that is literally a matter of life and death. And so we feel the weight of that today. We feel the weight of that because we know that the topic of abortion comes with so many thoughts and concerns and emotions, and for many, a lot of fear, and for others, shame because of the choices they've made. So I want to clear something up about this topic and when it comes to abortion. If you have had an abortion, I want you to know here at Peace Church, we do not condemn you. We welcome you. We invite you to hear the gospel of God's great love for you, and we want you and I want everyone to know that there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Even with the great sins that we all have committed in our lives, we can still know God's great love for us. And so, church family and friends, as we walk through this passage today, here is the main point I want you to understand about this passage here. God cares for you because God created you. God cares for you because God created you. And to understand this, as we look at our passage today, two points. Number one, God cares for you for life. God cares for you for life, and God created you for life. So point number one, God cares for you for life. Here's the reality, and you know this. When you, when you have children, for those of us who have, when you have children, everything changes. 
The way we see the world changes. You start crying at Disney movies. Everything changes. In a sense, the world does change because your world around you does change. Now, listen to me clearly on this. I love my wife the most, but my love for my children was instantaneous. Even before they were born, I loved them. Even before they were born, I would have done anything for them. I love them. I care for them. I want to know them. And this love, I'm telling you, this love is Fierce. This care that I have is fierce. Dads, you know this. The love of a father is dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. And I'm telling you this now. I'm not saying this as a threat, but simple, simple truth. There is nothing, there is nothing that will stop me from protecting and caring for my children. I have two boys and I have two girls. And I can tell you this. When they call for their daddy... I'm telling you right now, do not get in my way. I am not a tough man. Most of you guys can beat me up. <laughs> Kevin, I know, I'm not coming face to face with you. I'm not a tough man, but hear me when I say this, hell would have to relinquish its title to me because that's what you will get if you get between me and my children. Dads, do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. When my little girl... My little baby, when my little kindergartner, Georgia, when my little Georgie calls for her daddy, yo, I'm telling you, I will break the laws of physics to get to her. You guys know what I mean. And if that love sounds ferocious to you, if that love sounds ferocious to you, hear me. My love for my children, no matter how great it is, it is a grain of sand compared to the beach of God's love for you. God cares for you. Listen to what David says as, he, as he's singing this song to God. Listen to this. If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, or that means death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. From heaven to hell. From daybreak to the depths of the sea, David reminds us that God is with us. He's leading us, holding us, guiding us, caring for us. Why? Because he is a good father. From our conception on earth through our reception into heaven in Jesus' name, God cares for you for life. God also created you. God created you for life meaning God created us in our mother's womb that we would live, that we would have life. Listen to these beautiful verses, 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. Again, this is David speaking to God. For you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Some of us in here, some of us in here right now, we're, we're walking into this space wondering if our life has any value. We look at the choices we've made, maybe even this morning, and you're wondering if your life has any worth left. If that's you, hear me, you are not here by accident. 
God brought you here to hear these truths. I'm here to tell you right now, I want you to memorize these verses and let these words of truth correct your heart on this matter. I want to read these verses again, but let's read them as God is speaking them to us because we know that the Holy Spirit inspired these words. These are God's words to us. Let's read this again as if God is saying this to you. God says to you, I formed you. I formed you inside and out. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says this to you and hear me. God says this to every child in the womb. God created you and he created you to have life. No matter the circumstances of your conception, you are wonderfully, miraculously made in the womb because you are created in the image of God. Like a grandmother who knits together every piece of yarn into a sweater for her grandchild, God carefully knits you together. And did you hear this term? You are fearfully. The Bible says that you are fearfully made. This means that you are made in God's image. And that is a reverent and a holy and a fearsome thing. You are fearfully made. You are wonderfully made. And you are created for life. To have life. But the truth is, in our world, that is a contested thing. And people in our world question if Christians even really believe this. And in this sermon series, we've been taking time in each sermon to address some of the big world questions that we face. And as you can probably imagine, this topic comes with some heavy, heavy questions. And so as we look at some of these this morning, we have a special guest with us who's going to join me on stage to help address some of these questions. Today, Peace Church, I'm excited to say that Jim Sprague, the executive director of the Pregnancy Resource Center in Grand Rapids, is here with us to talk about this critical issue. So Peace Church, would you please welcome Jim to the stage. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, before we get started, if I may, yeah. um, I just want to say thank you to Peace Church. You guys have been our friends and partners for a long, long time. And um, I really did leap at the chance to come and, uh, if nothing else, say thank you to you personally uh, for your love and partnership um, for the gospel as it's expressed at uh, Pregnancy Resource Center. So God bless you and thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for being here. We know that asking someone to come for the entire morning at Peace Church is a major commitment. So yeah, you didn't tell you. me that part. That, it was... <laughs> <laughs> that came up later. That didn't come up later. Like, Let me get to the yes first, then we'll say what's in the yeah. yeah. So, so right. Jim, as you of all people know, this is a absolutely red hot issue. When we created this sermon series or thought about this sermon series earlier this spring, we had no idea that we'd be teaching and talking about the topic of abortion the summer after Roe was overturned and how much of a pressing issue this issue this is for the midterm elections. This is red hot. You of all people know that. And so would you help our church understand how to grapple with some questions? So okay. here's the first one. Um, here's the first big world question. How would you respond to the accusation that Christians aren't really pro-life, we're just pro-birth? Mm. Um, well, the first thing I would say about the abortion issue, um, Pastor Ryan is exactly right. This is not a political issue. First and foremost, this is a spiritual issue. Yeah. 
This is a matter of God's creation. Um, the, the crowning achievement of God's creation um, is human life, and we bear his image. And the thing that you have to keep in mind as God's people is that this issue, this standing in the gap for life, isn't new. You know, we think about it as old as 1973. Oh, no, it's as old as Exodus chapter 1, right? When the Hebrew midwives stepped in the gap against the law of the land to say, we're going to let all these babies expire. So it isn't new, you guys. It's just our turn. It is our turn to stand in the gap. So when somebody um, tosses an argument out there, and you know in the montage introducing um, the uh, message this morning, at the tail end you heard, uh, I think it's Whoopi Goldberg, saying, you know, well, if, if you could just convince me that you'll walk alongside these babies when they're born, maybe I could go along with it. And I want to go, okay, Whoopi, let's talk about that, because here's what we do at pregnancy centers, and so why are they coming under fire? these days? Why are you um, not wanting to hear the truth about the work that we do? I'm not a slasher movie guy, but I do know what a zombie is, all right? Are you with me? Um, and this is a zombie argument. It seems like in those movies, in those stories, it's like no matter what you throw at this person, it just keeps coming back. And I've been doing this work 21 years, and that was an argument I heard back then and you still hear it today, is, well, you just care about the baby. And I want to tell you, nothing could be farther than the truth. I want to tell Whoopi and anybody who, you know, is of that camp, nothing could be further from the truth. Pregnancy Resource Center is about being proactive. That's the P, the R, being responsive. But the C is about compassionate support services. We have an entire separate other building dedicated to the C, the Compassionate Support Services. And I know group, groups like uh, Alpha in Barry County are doing the same thing. I'm part of a consortium of about 20 pregnancy centers in West Michigan that are standing with and walking with women who choose life. And guess what? We're also walking with women who don't. And the abortion industry doesn't do that, Ryan. The abortion industry doesn't walk with women who choose abortion. They'll take their money and cash that check. Don't get me wrong. But they're not going to admit that there might be some spiritual, relational, emotional fallout from that decision. And they don't walk with them. We do. So we care for women in a way that I think the abortion industry really doesn't. And um, so no matter how much truth you throw at this, can I say zombie, it's, it's going to keep coming back because they really don't want to hear the truth. But the truth is, um, Whoopi's right about this. It is irresponsible of the pro-life Christian movement, right? It's, it is irresponsible of us to tell a woman in an unplanned crisis pregnancy situation that she should keep her pregnancy. We shouldn't say that if we're not going to also commit to walking with her when she does, and we do. And so that, that kind of leads to the second argument I've heard. And I love how you're helping us to show on Peace Church. I hope you're, you're hearing this. You're, you're attacking some of the presuppositions and the premises of the question. We don't accept the question at face value. We wonder if that's even a legitimate question to ask. And so this, this kind of goes with that, what you're talking about. A common argument that I often hear as I stand for, for, for life is that the pro-life stance is actually anti-women because it forces women to carry a pregnancy to term that they don't want. It removes their rights. How would you respond to that? Yeah, well, I would respond to that by saying Chevy dealers, 
sells Chevys. They don't want you buying a Ford. And the abortion industry wants to sell you an abortion if you're in an unplanned crisis pregnancy situation. They don't want to talk to you about other uh, options. And this really came home to me. Uh, some of you will recognize the name Abby Johnson, okay? Abby Johnson is a pro-life activist who used to be uh, the director of an abortion clinic in Texas, in Bryan Station, Texas. And she got, in 2008, the award for Planned Parenthood of uh, all of the United States. She won the award uh, for Employee of the Year. And Abby says, they don't give you that award because you're good at remembering all the volunteers' names and bringing donuts for their birthdays. They give you that award because you're their top salesperson. And she says, I could sell an abortion to any girl that I met with. I was very, very good at it. And sadly, the girls that were easiest for me to sell an abortion to were the ones who were from churched families because they're not supposed to be in that situation to begin with. So when I think about that statement of you're denying a woman a choice, I also think about what is the primary tenet of, a medical, uh, of medical ethics regarding any procedure. The primary tenet of any procedure um, medically is that you talk about the risks and the side effects including the alternatives to the procedure that you're recommending. The abortion industry, the Chevy dealers, it's not a knock on Chevys, there's, like there's a Chevy dealer out here right now going, oh, thanks a lot, right? It's a Chevy truck drivers I'd watch out for. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, oh, it just got personal, didn't it? So, um, but that industry doesn't want to talk about, th so if anybody's, if we, can sh if we can shed the political uh, overtone of the term pro-choice, if there's anybody in this argument that's more pro-choice, it's going to be those who are presenting all the choices. My heart is that a woman, if she is still going to choose to have an abortion, she ought to at least know what the risks and the side effects and the alternative options available to her. What should really break our heart is the woman who goes to the abortion clinic, finds out later that a church like Peace, a, a program like Cradles of Grace, an organization like Pregnancy Resource Center was two and a half blocks away from where she had her procedure, and she had no idea that those alternative types of support were available to her. We are actually more pro-choice, mm -hmm. if I can say that and not be misquoted, right? But we're the ones that are offering alternatives to abortion not the abortion industry. Um, Jim, I'm going to ask for just a few more moments of your time. we got a couple more questions. One we didn't have time to in the other services, but I want to hear your thoughts on this because I've gotten this question from yeah. our congregation. Uh, how should Christians think about IVF, in vitro fertilization, where it seems that many embryos are destroyed in the process? Okay, well, in a word, compassionately. I think that's how we should think about IVF, um, in vitro fertilization. Um, think about, first of all, why IVF became a thing. Because we were trying to be compassionate to infertile couples who wanted to get pregnant. They wanted to have a family, and they were having trouble doing it. There was medicine, there was science involved that allowed them 
to become parents. Um, but we also need to think about um, what it is. First of all, what is IVS? It's IVF. It's a harvesting of uh, the egg and the sperm, a fertilization of that, and then an implantation in the womb. And as was pointed out in what Ryan has already um, preached on, and what he's preaching is right from the Word of God, which I love that that's the plumb line for everything that you're doing here, is the Word of God. We also need to think compassionately about life. When does life begin? Life begins at conception. God is already with his knitting needles out, <laughs> like that grandmother you talked about, and knitting something unique and special, a magnificent work of art. He's already at work. So we have to think compassionately. And what happens with IVF is it opens the door to do some things that we can do, but I don't know if we always should do, right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Now, um, for the compassionate side of IVF, we wanted to help infertile couples. Now, it's also helping a lot of other um, uh, situations as well, selective um, pregnancies and uh, same-sex marriage couples having children, you know. Um, where do we, now we start to get into some gray areas, right, uh, according to the Word of God. So <clears throat> the point that I wanted to make is just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. And I'll end with this. One couple's journey in the IVF uh, world was leading them to two conclusions. One is we decided that when it came to this fertilization and implantation, we were only going to fertilize the same number of eggs that we were willing to see implanted. Because this couple didn't want to see, um, you know, uh, embryos that were, you know, growing, frozen, and then discarded. Yeah. Um, and they also made a commitment to all, uh, only implanting the number of embryos in the womb that they were willing to birth so that they didn't get into a selection yeah. there either. And um, I think that's a pretty good guideline. There are a lot of gray areas, um, but I wanna come back to the first thing that I said is we have to think compassionately. We have to think compassionately about the couple, why they're stepping into an IVF procedure, but also we can't forget about the babies. We can't forget about the fact that God is knitting together a unique life in a very different way, um, in a unique way, but he is at work there, and those lives matter to him. Thank you, Jim. I'm sure that question will come up um, later as we engage in our Good, uh, good Questions series that we'll talk about later. So, so last question, and we would be remiss if we didn't hit on this one because it is, it is the moment we are in, especially for our state. Can you talk for your, uh, to us for a moment about Michigan's Proposal 3? Proposal 3. Um, Muy malo. <laughs> That's Spanish for very bad. Uh, Prop 3 is, uh, um, would open the door for Michigan to be unrecognizable. Um, two things. One is we would surpass, in terms of our passionate embrace of abortion, Michigan would surpass New York and California. And if you know anything about what's going on in those states, that's what we would become. And we would surpass them. And some have put it 
on par with, with even um, the leader in the world on abortion, which is North Korea, because it opens the door for abortion anytime, for any reason, at any stage of the pregnancy, including up to um, the point of uh, birth. And I won't go into the <laughs> grotesque nature of the procedure of partial birth abortion, but essentially this is a child that is moments from being born um, whose life is, is taken from him or her at that moment. And it also opens the door for infanticide because we might uh, also be able then to deliver that baby and leave it exposed. And again, we start to sound like, you know, the barbaric nature of the first church in Ephesus where you've got children sitting on a table waiting to expire because they're not going to be tended to. So I don't want to see that happen in Michigan. I don't think you do either. Uh, but not only is this radical in terms of embrace of abortion, it also opens things for um, sex change operations, sterilization, and the potential that it would all be funded by the Michigan taxpayer dollars. That's not where I want my tax dollars going. But I think the most um, radical piece of what it does is it would also strike down all of the existing laws in Michigan. There are about 50 or 55 laws that stand for children in the womb and stand for women. So this is where I've often said, I don't think you even have to be pro-life to say this is a bad idea because it's not good for women. And what, am I, what do I mean? Number one, the anti-coercion law would be taken away. And what's the anti-coercion law? If I'm an abortion provider, Ryan, and um, I am compelled by the state of Michigan because of this law, I have to ask the woman that I'm about to perform an abortion on, is there anyone forcing you to have this procedure against your will? And I have to ask her in private, okay? And that would be gone. So um, someone who is a sex trafficker or in a prostitution ring, running a, a, a prostitution ring, these kinds of things, they're going to love the state of Michigan because of all the water around and how people can disappear when you get out into the water and, and go to another state or another country from Michigan, right? And because there's no anti-coercion. I can force the women under my control to go to a, an abortionist and have that procedure. No more uh, does it matter if she wants it or not. Um, the other thing is 24-hour um, waiting period and parental consent would be removed. So no more. I can't walk today. You can't walk into an abortion facility and say, I want an abortion today. The soonest they can book it is the next day. By law, they have to wait 24 hours. And this is the informed consent piece. You'll get materials that tell you about the procedure and uh, you come back to have it. But that would be gone. And I think a lot of people change their mind as they stop and think about it. They read through some things. But here, partner this with no more parental consent. So I think we could agree that a 16-year-old girl could be a little impulsive at times, right? Can we agree on that? Imagine if she's pregnant. She doesn't have to have her parents' permission, and she could go tomorrow into the abortion clinic and have her abortion, and her parents would never know. You guys, she can't go on a field trip without a parent's permission. Mm -hmm. She couldn't get a tattoo without consent from her parents. But now in the new Michigan, this new constitutionally amended Michigan, she can have an abortion. I don't think that's right. I think even, again, if you're a pro-choice person, you can go, I'm not for that. And uh, so I would just encourage 
everyone here to, to not only vote no on three, but talk about it. Step out and talk about it and say, are you really for these things that I'm hearing? And uh, there is material on the table back there, and one of them is a Say No to Prop 3 um, flyer. Grab it. And uh, there's a QR code that can take you to that website, and you can learn more about it. But this is, this is what it, looked like. it looks like right on the top. Vote No on 3. And uh, again, thank you for letting me talk about that. Because let me tell you something about Pastor Ryan. Um, his invitation for me to come and talk about these things is not something that ha somebody asked me earlier. Well, how many churches have you gone to to talk about this? And I'm like, like I can count them on one hand. A lot of pastors don't want to talk about this hot topic, and they certainly don't want to talk about Prop 3. You have every right, by the way, uh, as a nonprofit, as a church, I do, to talk about it. It can't be the main thing you do is political, but we can tell God's people how to... How to um, uh, it, uh, apply the word of God to things that are going on in our culture. And that's what you're doing amazingly well here. He's a great guy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jim. Guys, thank you, Jim. As we mentioned before, uh, as you exit today, especially if you are uh, suspicious of what we're talking about, Please check out the table and show that we want to put our actions and our money where our mouth is, that we're not just pro seeing babies born, but we're pro walking alongside mothers every step of the way. And as we look to kind of closing up our time, I want to go back and remind you of what we had talked about earlier. Our very first point is this, is that God cares for you because God created you. Life is to be valued. It is to be elevated. It is to be seen as special because it comes from God. And not just a gift, but God wove us together. And we looked at how God cares for us because he created us for life. But here's what you need to know. On this side of eternity, there is brokenness. And this brokenness is in the universe. It's in our culture. And if you're honest with yourself, there's brokenness in your own heart. And brokenness... This brokenness has a word, and it's called sin, and it corrupts everything it touches. It's ruined our relationship with the world, it's ruined our relationship with each other, and it's ruined our relationship with God. And this sin is no laughing matter. Not only does it break things, it kills things. The result of sin is death. Death is the result of sin in this world, in this world of brokenness and sin, children die of disease. Children die of preventable causes and children die of abortion in the name of women's rights. In our world, it just seems like death reigns. But our Savior came so that we would have life. He came to undo the reign of death. Jesus said he came that we would have life. Listen to me, not just life in the moment, but life in the full and life for eternity in his name. Because here's the reality. We've tried it on our own. You're seeing the world try it on their own, and you know and I know there's nothing but rampant brokenness and dissension and hurt and pain and bitterness in the world. That's what happens when you try it on your own. We have to do it God's way because God's way is not only good, but it leads to life. And the only way to get back on that path is through Christ. And realizing that he came. He came to undo this brokenness of sin in the world. He's come to do this through his life, death, and resurrection. On the cross, this special symbol of the Christianity, on the cross, 
Jesus was nailed and he died and he did it to take the shame and the punishment that our sins deserve. A price needs to be paid for this crime and the only price that could pay it is his life. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross in our place to pay the price for our sin. Yes, the sin of abortion. Yes, the sin of selfishness and pride and greed and lust and all the sins that just ruin our lives. He paid the penalty for those sins. He paid it with his life. And he hung there until it was all paid for. And when his mission was accomplished, he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last breath and he died. The one who came to give us life died the death we deserve. But the Bible teaches us that death is the enemy. Death is the enemy that is to be overcome. And Jesus entered into the Sheol, entered into death so that he could undo it. And he did with his resurrection. See, we don't believe in a religious leader whose bones are rotting away in some tomb. We have a leader who triumphed over Satan's sin and death and who is reigning in heaven right now, giving us life. Life in the full, life eternal, life now and forever. Hear me on this. Even if you've committed the great sin of abortion, Jesus is greater. His forgiveness is there for you. No matter what sin, no matter how big of a sin you think you've done in your life, no matter how terrible of life you think you've led, Jesus is greater. His victory is greater than your greatest sin. There is no offer like this in the world other than through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the one who came to undo death because he is our living hope.